Shut up and sit down. Hey there and welcome to the Third Period Podcast, the show that takes you around the UK ice hockey leagues. Sponsored by Nuola for all your custom sportswear needs. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Third Period Podcast. Thank you again for sticking with us uh, with this long exposure of COVID lockdown with the league. So we're trying to keep it as entertaining as possible. If you've enjoyed the last episode, this one should be just as fun. So tonight's guest is the, say, self-proclaimed king of the gulag. Uh, <laughs> defenseman born and bred in the Coventry area. Four years at Notre Dame, three years in the WSHL with the Ogden Mustangs, which resulted in a jersey retirement. Five seasons playing in Coventry, both junior and senior, uh, amassing to 306 games. And not forgetting that game-winning goal in the 18-19 season on the last day to deny Cardiff, which I think we all rather enjoyed if you're a Blaze fan. Much to the shock of Liam Stewart, though, if you heard last week's episode, very much the locker room DJ by all accounts and very much a good off-season ball whacker, as some would say. We welcome today Blaze defenceman David Clements. Welcome, Dave. Hello. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you for accepting. Again, putting out the offer we knew for us. Obviously, we didn't expect much coming back from Liam last week and then obviously yourself this week. So very, very much appreciated on our side. So what we'll do is we'll start off with the, the cliche stuff. We'll get them all out of the way. Um, everybody's going to ask the question, where did it all start for you? At what point in your young life did you think ice hockey, mine, I'm having that? Oh, it was it was kind of tough for me actually. Obviously, being um, being from England, I had no no real idea about hockey or that we even had a rink. Uh, before the rink was a rink, it was uh, the basketball stadium. So I went and watched a few basketball games as a kid. I remember, um, and for my seventh birthday, uh, my mum took well, my mum and dad took me and a bunch of friends, school friends, uh, ice skating. And um, I really enjoyed it, got the hang of it reasonably quickly for my first time. Um, so I've been told I can't really remember it. Um, and then there was a bunch of flyers around the rink to say, you know, Coventry Blaze ice hockey team. And I just wanted to go and watch a game. So we went to go and watch a game as a family and uh, really enjoyed the, you know, how different the sport was. It was something that I wasn't used to, never seen before. So we kept on going for a little bit, and I, I decided I wanted to try it. So um, I started when I was about eight at the same time as playing, you know, football and cricket and all the other things. And it just, hockey kind of just stuck with me um, a little bit different than football and cricket. Um, so from watching those Blaze games and trying it out on the beginner sessions and uh, having Paul Thompson and James Pease coaching me at a young age uh, as a beginner. I, it was just something different for me and something that I wanted to stick with. So, just uh, spiraled from there, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> spiraled from there, definitely. <laughs> so, I suppose, obviously, then on the back of that, there's, we, we call him, I'm going to start referring to him as Statman Ash. He just comes out of all these stats from nowhere. <laughs> 
uh, how he's found these. Obviously, you know, Blaze Academy, um, junior system as it was known back then, um, now known as Academy. You've, you've, you've know, had a number of years there. But the only stats we could find there were a covering across a three-year three year period. For under-16s, you played Blaze. You also covered in a couple of what was known as the Mercy and Menace days. Um, oh, yeah. And obviously moving on to plays in 07, 08 and 08, 09. Not, not a bad little run out in that um, period of time, those three years. I think you amassed something like 30-odd games. Um, again, about 30-odd goals uh, and 19 assists. So not a bad outing. The, the, the thing that stands out for us, though, <laughs> it's a big standout. 16 party minutes in your first year, so quite a mellow year. 22 yeah. the following year. You've probably got a little bit more um, testosterone at that age, I understand. <laughs> Dropping that down to 16 again, that's that's a nice average number for a 10-15 game season, but your last one, wow, 109 penalty minutes in 10 games, what, what happened there? That's the thing, I don't even think I even played all 10 games, so... Um, <laughs> well, first of all, uh, growing up in the junior system, it was... Um, you know, with the, you mentioned the mercy and menace days, and looking back on it now, I'm just thinking it was, it, it's mental to think that far back, and you know, playing under some of those coaches. But um, no, that last season with the penalty minutes, uh, I was always a very competitive and argumentative child with any sport that I played, and um, I don't know where I was playing or what game it was, but I spoke to my. Uh, my dad about it briefly and he said that I got in a, a major argument with the referee and um, I ended up arguing with him all the way back to the penalty box and then I broke my stick over the bench of the penalty box which was the only stick I had back then and sticks back then were cheaper than they are now but my dad still had an absolute meltdown about it and uh, I argued with I got kicked out of the game and argued with the referee and said some words uh, you know a 15 16 year old or whatever how old, I don't know how old I was maybe maybe even 13 or 14 back then but probably said some words at that age I should have never said to the referee at the time which resulted in me getting banned for about six or seven games. And back then, I don't know what it is like now in the junior system, but our seasons were only like 14 games long. So I remember like we had one game a month pretty much. And so I didn't play hockey probably, well, any games for about, you know, four months. So that's, Gee, how, the, Jesus. that's how the penalty minutes racked up there from getting in an wow. argument with a referee. You know, a man against boy, I think I win the argument. But uh, I definitely <laughs> definitely lost in the outcome with uh, being suspended there for about four months and uh, racking the penalty minutes up. But, yeah, that's all I remember from that, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think I can add a little bit more to that because I was also in the juniors. I was a little bit old. I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, no, I'm nearly 30 now. So I was probably in the 18s, 19s, and we had a game after a game. And an incident sticks out in my head where a certain player was mouthy to the ref and they did get kicked out. You're saying all that and it seems to ring to me and I'm thinking it sounds like it was that game. <laughs> and I think it was against Nottingham Lions, as they were called, uh, their junior team. Uh, it 
I remember an incident happening. I don't even think you were involved. You were on the bench, and I think you came off the bench. That probably didn't help. No, <laughs> it just yeah. escalated from there. I remember it, because I remember sitting there going, wow, this kid's got to be careful. This kid's got to be careful. This kid's got to be careful. Oh, it sounds just, something no, just like stop. I would definitely do. And to be honest, the Nottingham and Sheffield teams, they used to absolutely thrash us Coventry teams when we were younger, like, you know, I think the first ever game I played against Nottingham, I think we lost about 30 nil. Um, so me being as competitive as, as I am and think I know everything and I'm right all the time, I think getting a, in an argument with a, you know, a grown man referee when I was that age, I didn't go down so well, obviously. But hey, I, I still think I won the argument and uh, <laughs> no, no regrets there at all. <laughs> yeah, well... Shall we say Ash has, um, we say, spoken to an unnamed source that's quite close to, to you. Um, you can obviously go around and obviously pest whoever you want and try and find out who it was <laughs> that leaked this. Um, but they have actually said these words, and, and we'll quote them. He very much had quite the temper and a reputation for arguing with the refs. Um, I remember... I won't say because it will give it away. But your your dad was stood at a game, having to stand somewhere visible from then on out to make sure you stayed in line. Um, how would you respond to that? Do you think you needed parental guidance off the ice? Oh, it makes me sound like such a bad child, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know you, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean. I'm not afraid to give myself a, uh, a good or bad rep anyway, but I, I can imagine someone to say that is either Ross or my sister because they both grew up with me playing and they always used to get on me about having a temper and stuff. Uh, you know, in, in practice as a 14, 13-year-old, I used to cross-check Ross in the back of the head if he annoyed me. So, uh, I, I did have a major temper. And my dad, to be fair, he was always... You know, my biggest, my biggest fan, my biggest critic, my biggest, you know, he, he got into coaching and loved the game of hockey through me playing. So he, he did spend quite a few games, you know, even if he drove four hours to an away game, he'd stand near the bench to just say to me, you know, are you OK? Are you behaving? Are you, you know, acting like a spoiled child or anything like that? So <laughs> I... Uh, yeah, it's fair to say with the statement, whoever said it, it's fair to say that I did have a, a, a very big temper. But well, it's the next statement, we've got another statement from the same person, and oh, this God. will give it away 100%. So you were very good at playing up to the older teams, um, this source says. Uh, and at one point, you were even sent out in case someone purposely hit this person um, and she was to have been injured in any way. You became the bodyguard for this particular individual. So that probably accounts for a lot of the penalty minutes. You know what? I would shoot on that basis. I'm sure yeah. you've gathered who it is now. <laughs> I, it's got to be my sister, I think, uh, because I, uh, I definitely got sent out a few times. I mean, I remember the two girls that played with our team were Paige Henry and my sister Olivia. Um, and I did get sent out on a line with them um a number amount of times that if because there were some big guys and they 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 didn't care back then i mean if the girls are on the ice and they're on the puck they get hit like that they were laying them out center ice or boarding them whatever it was yeah so i would go out there and try and protect but obviously you couldn't fight back then or anything like that so it, looking back on it it was kind of pointless but i i did feel like as a a big old tough 13-year-old enforcer at the time, I can't lie. So <laughs> I, I do remember that quite. I might have got the source wrong, but... Uh, 
yeah, it was uh, it's good to look back on it and uh, uh, think about. I think I was definitely protecting Paige and Olivia, though, hundred <laughs> percent. I I would say that you've got the source spot on, um, oh, really? <laughs> and I'm sure she's going to get some grilling for it now. Oh, she'll get some grief, don't worry. To be fair, I've spoke to both Olivia and Ross today, and got them to dig me some information. And one of the first things they both said was, "A lot of the stuff you can't say live." <laughs> and then they went ah the temper and it was the first yeah. thing they both mentioned but they have gave more stuff as well for later on in the pod so you got on both right spot on <laughs> oh i can't wait for the rest of the stuff <laughs> but i'm gonna i'm gonna defend you on that bit there though i i kind of get why you'd be sent out to to be a bodyguard um so i think if i remember correctly around the time that you would have been playing in in that kind of you know, 07, 08, 08, 09 years. There was an incident in another junior game uh, where, unfortunately, a, a, a lad had hit a girl and she'd um, had broken her neck and had obviously kind of spiralled from there. I don't know if you're aware of that incident. Yeah, I was at the game and that happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember it, yeah. Yeah. So I can understand why whoever your coach was back then, you know, if it was your dad or whoever it was, I can see why they would send you out because obviously if things like that are happening, you know, there's got to be someone there to obviously clear it all up and and sort it out but no I, I can I'm going to defend you on that one I'll get that if women are playing the sport you've got to obviously protect them a little bit more and that's no disrespect to women you know they can handle themselves <laughs> just to throw that out there yeah so, not at all yeah <laughs> I'm going to rewind also, do you slightly think, because... do you think as well on that Danny just a quick one interjecting yeah. back then you heard more of sport being boys and girls mixing playing you didn't hear of all female teams at certain ages. You didn't hear that side of thing. Whereas now, there's so much diversity through everything that you have women's leagues and men's leagues within the same age group for year on end. And it's it's a great thing in the long run because, yeah, you may not get... I wouldn't know a famous female ice hockey player off the top of my head, to be fair, but if the next best thing's going through the Cobb Academy, but she can't got to stop playing because it's not a girls' league, what a loss that's got to be. You've got to put a system for everyone to progress in the same momentum, haven't you? A hundred percent, yeah. And uh, just going off what you just said there, uh, back when I when I was playing the Cobb Academy, Paige Henry was one of our top three point scorers in the team. I mean, her and her cousin Katie were on a different level to some of the other guys that were playing. And they were able to be given a fair chance through mixed sport and growing up playing a tough, boys hockey game with contact and dishing out their own hits and their own abuse and learning the game that way that they were able to move on to go and play uh, in a tough league in Sweden um, and it, I think it's I don't, I don't to be honest I wasn't aware that the girls on it are able to you know no longer play with the guys in the junior system but I think if that is the case that's a real shame because everyone should be given a fair chance until they get to that certain age where the guys move on to pro or the girls move away. Like everyone should be given a fair chance uh, throughout their teenage days. So I have to agree with you there, hundred uh, percent. I think they still. I know with my well, my nephew plays. A girl still plays with his team, um, but I believe now there's more opportunity for girls going forward because um, there's more professional leagues, and you hear of girls' professional leagues and young women going into the game rather than it dwindling off. Um, Because, to be fair, the country as a whole for a lot of years was male-orientated, wasn't it, when it comes to sport. And you always heard of 
the greatest footballers being male. You never heard of England's women football team getting to a final. It was all male orientated. But now, 2020, yeah, it may be a bit of a pony year for everything, but it's very different in terms of the equality for everyone to have an opportunity to do something if they're good at it. And it's fantastic. If you, I've got a young daughter myself, and if she wants to do a sport, I want her to go as far as she possibly can. But I think 10 years ago, there'd be a cut-off and they'll go, right, we've not got the league for you anymore. You can't play in the men's league and things like that. Whereas now, like you said, Paige Henry, Katie Henry, they got to an age, they've gone off to Sweden and they're doing great over there. Yeah, different, different world. Different world. There's so many opportunity for you know female hockey players. I mean, there was a, I don't know if you guys listened to the Spit and Chicklets at all, but they they had a yep. former the the former goalie on, and she spoke about you know I, I mean it's a completely different environment her growing up in North America and playing, but uh, she was able to, through you know male hockey she was a bit, she was able to be given an opportunity to play at you know a high level because she was good enough. And that's how it should be in every in every sport. If uh, no matter the gender, if you're good enough to play, you should be playing. Everyone should have equal opportunities. And there are more female professional leagues now within within sport and ice hockey. And you know, if a girl wants to, if a female wants to strive to be a GB hockey player and you know win a win a gold and get into the top level like the men's team did, then I'm, I'm sure there'll be an equal amount of buzz around the, the UK hockey world than there, than there was for the men. So, uh, yeah, they should definitely get an equal opportunity. And if they're good enough, they should play for sure. 100%. Uh, I, I double said that. I mean, definitely, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's a good opportunity for them to obviously better themselves. We've, I think we've said it when we reviewed one of the teams. When a younger lad makes his first year, uh, for example... Uh, Ash's, you know, favourite D-man is just signed for for Sheffield. Um, the, obviously, league pending. Um, we were saying, does he make that jump if it, it was? Because there was all these rumours, and we always say, if you want to better your career, you've got to obviously take that jump and see if you, you know, if you rise up to the occasion, or if you, if you mellow off and, and unfortunately take a, a spiral. But no, same for the girls. Obviously, if they can compete against the men, I, I remember watching um, people like. Page and Katie playing. Uh, um, and I think one game that they they played in there was them two and then Joe as well. And you you, you could just tell that they were class above everybody else. Even Olivia, like I've seen Olivia play. Um, yeah. A couple of games and you could just see. I think at one point Olivia, I would say that Olivia was one of the better people on the team that you were in, from what I remember of her playing. Yes, yeah, she was. Yeah. Um, you know, we had Paige and Olivia play with us. Katie didn't really play with us. She was. Uh... She was in Solihull and went to Sweden quite early. But, I mean, Paige and Olivia, they were, you know, uh, no disrespect to, for any of the guys that we played with back in the day. But they were, you know, head and shoulders above, above, you know, more than half of the team there. And they were putting up some good numbers with points. And um, Paige got a good opportunity in Sweden from it, uh, where she pursued that. And Olivia got to go to notre dame like i did and she got to go to university as well so it, there's so many opportunities for for female players so uh anyone listening that's a young female ice hockey player you know just there's so many opportunities for you so stick with it for sure good to hear good to hear so i'm gonna rewind slightly just to your early years um back at the start of the junior times 12 13 years of old age you know 
playing at under 16 level. So you play in an age bracket or two above what you normally would. So obviously yeah. that clearly showed the quality that was there. Did, did that daunt you or did that excite you? Like, how did you come across? How did you face that? Obviously, kids at 12, 13 have got no fear anyway. But when they're in that situation, some, you know, they kind of deer in the headlights and fire away. But you seem to obviously just cracked on and just took it to the next level. Would you say that? Uh, in a way, yeah. I mean, um, so I was a forward when I first started playing hockey. And um, when I, I think I must have been about nine or ten in uh, Midlands Conference, uh, Coach Roger Stones, he said to me, I want you to try D. And so I went to D and I was playing for my own age group and Midlands and everything as a defenseman and really grew into the defensive role. But then when I got to play up for, you know, the under-16s, I was playing as a forward. So I was just going out there and, you know, running around. And, you know, I got a, I got, I got a few goals. But I, it was just more fun for me. Like, a, I, even playing for the Blaze a few years ago, I was on a line with Ross and Gail and Patterson. It was just, it's just a completely different environment from being a defenseman to a forward. You just, you just have way more fun with it. You get to touch the puck more. You, you get to... You know, you move your feet a lot more as a forward than a defenseman. There's just so many different aspects to it. So playing as a forward in in that league as the under-16s, I think I just enjoyed myself quite a lot to be able to touch the puck and score some goals rather than, you know, sitting at home, hitting guys and just worrying about getting the puck out. It's just a lot different for me. And uh, I, I think I, you know, really enjoyed it. Uh, putting some pucks in the back of the net for a change. So I think I grew to it reasonably fast. But uh, just that jump from being a defenseman to it, knowing that I'm going to be a forward this game and I can maybe get on the score sheet or something like that, that's what excited me about it, which gave me confidence to go out and play the way that I did. So, so yeah. It clearly worked for you because obviously straight from under-16s in you know Blaze Academy up to... You know, the following year, 2009-10, you get, you know, chance to go over to Notre Dame and, you you know, you take that opportunity. You had, what, four seasons with them uh, there or thereabouts. I think your first year, it's it's not got any stats for you. I don't know why. Um, Ash can probably clarify that. But how did that come about for you? Did, did, did they contact you or was it, you know, a family member reaching out to them? You know, it's, a, it's an unusual situation to hear an English or a British young, you know, hockey player get a chance to go over to North America yeah so believe it or not and this will be uh, news to some people but uh, Danny Stewart he he is actually my brother-in-law now who recently a few years ago got married to one of my older sisters uh, they've been together since I was about you know uh, 12 or so 11 or 12 so um my sister went for a year whilst I was still in Coventry. Uh, he, he went to that school for four years. Uh, Stewie did. So he had the contacts there and had been to the school and had the experience. And he, sem- he said to my sister, if you want to play hockey and have a good experience, you know, go to this school. So she went for a year and absolutely loved it. Who then said to, you know, our mum and my dad, you should send David out here. So through there, um, my dad sent me out and the, the reason I probably don't have any stats that first year is because I was on the very bottom team that the school could possibly have. Uh, so there's trials when you get there and stuff. And, you know, I was trialing against guys like Morgan Riley, who's with the Leafs, and 
slate of cuckoos Jesus. with uh, Chicago oh. and Liam oh. O'Brien, who's with Washington. Yeah, there's just so many guys that are now in the NHL, those guys. And I, it was just a huge step for me. So there's two AAA teams, two double tier, uh, two double A, two double A tier two teams for midget. And I got cut all the way to the bottom team my first year. So they probably don't even record stats for that. <laughs> that league over there, um, but yeah, it's just it's just the experience as well. Like the hockey is uh, is one thing, and but they focus on your education first. I mean, uh, my first year there, I, I I couldn't play for like two or three weeks because my my overall average grade in school wasn't at an acceptable standard. So they made me do homework in the stands whilst my team would play games or practice, I couldn't even touch the ice. So, uh, you know, living away and moving away at 14 and having to hand your phone in at night and not getting it back until the next day after school and just so many different rules, like trying to turn you into an adult as quick as they can. I think the experience for me, um, you know, overpowers the hockey, but also helped me become uh, the player that I kind of am today so you know learning off guys like Morgan Riley and Slater Cuckoo and watching those guys play for a year and see how they move and how they work and stuff was unbelievable so that second year I made the the third team I think it was and then the second year I was on the uh, the t- uh my last year I was on the top team so kind of stepping stones from there but what an unbelievable experience that was to be able to to go over there and play against some of the players that I got to play against them with. It was uh, definitely something I recommend to any young kid uh, that wants to go abroad. Uh, Notre Dame is definitely a place where you should look into, for sure. Some good stats there as well for you. I mean, first year, we've uh, we've got double A, double S. I don't know what that stands for. You know, I'm not that knowledgeable. But 38 games, um, tw- uh, you know, 31 points in total with 68 penalty minutes. So it's good to see your penalty minutes come down in that year, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is good. And it, your scoring statistics and your assist statistics stayed very, you know, they actually increased from your from your Blaze days. So that's good as well. Um, following year, 10 games, one goal, uh, eight penalty minutes. Um, we'll say that that's down to education. We'll, we'll get you up a buy on that one. But look, no, that's put you in the that's put you in the AAA team actually. We've got here, so you've made a step up. Then you've played a couple of games for the AAA team as well. And then your last year, by what Ash has put here. So if these are wrong, punish Ash, not myself. Um, AAA team full time, forty three games, twenty one points, hundred eight penalty minutes. Uh, but you also wore the A that year. Was that a big shock to get that? You know, being in. North America and getting an A as a, as a British player? Uh, yeah, it was, to, to be honest. I mean, I remember that last year and it was, a, it was a team vote in the dressing room. Everyone had to write down on a piece of paper who they voted for their captain and their assistant. So, um, you know, it's one thing for your coach to be able to give you an A or a C and it's a great honour and achievement for a coach to give you an A or a C to think of you as a leader and someone that the players can look up to and stuff, but to have your peers, like, you know, for, it's just like the trophy, the player's player or whatever, to, to see the guys around you think of you as a leader and someone they can, you know, look to, to, you know, get advice or, you know, anything like that, or, you know, they have someone to turn to on the ice. If 
things aren't going their way, it's definitely was a great achievement for me to be able to uh, be an assistant captain on a AAA team at that school, how prestigious it was and everything. So, yeah, definitely a great achievement for myself. We were talking to uh, one of the people on the inside earlier. Um, she did mention about when you first moved to Calendar and being a, the first year being on one of the lower teams, then stepping yourself up each year. And um, I actually wrote down on the paperwork in front of us. So it's a bit of like a rags to riches story. Um, literally turning up, a bit like the Mighty Ducks, if to say, they turn up, you don't expect them to win. Then in the end, they do. Same for yourself, you turn up, You've took that knock in the first few weeks, that first year, then you've dragged yourself through it, got yourself to the top, and then you're wearing an A for to play team. I don't think there's many Brit lads out there who could turn around and say, I've done that. But with the whole setup there with going to Notre Dame, as a 14-year-old kid going out there, being probably one of the best defensemen in the country at the time, and then going to a, being, well, being a big fish in a small pond over here, to being a small fish in a big pond, Going to that bottom team, how do you deal with that sort of knockback? How do you keep motivated as a 14-year-old kid whose dream, if to say, has just took a massive hit? How do you, how do you work on that? Oh, I mean, it was, it was difficult at first. Obviously, like you said, being 14 and moving away to a boarding school, uh, you know, thousands of miles away from home and what you're used to. I was absolutely fine when my dad dropped me off. I was making friends. Hockey trials hadn't started. I literally waved him goodbye and told him to get out of here. He was embarrassing me. And I was having a, you know, making some new friends. But then when you, when the hockey trials start, and you can see kind of like the clicks of people and this, that, and the other. I remember getting cut, and I was probably about three or four weeks into school. I remember using the payphone in the dorms and calling my dad and mum and saying that I wanted to come home and I was homesick and, you know, I was crying down the phone as a 14 year old kid saying, I don't, I, you know, I can't handle this. Uh, I've been cut. I'm on the bottom of the team. I'm, I'm homesick. And, you know, they, my dad is always, and my mum, uh, my whole family to be fair, but my dad, especially as a hockey fan, he, he, he just pushed me, pushed me through um, every tough time that I've ever had with hockey or with anything. So, um, he just told me down the phone, you know, just stick with it, play through it. You know, you'll learn a lot more there than you do here. You get to, you know, I mean, 14 games at, at home in England in a season and getting on the ice once a week for practice compared to practicing every day, even on the bottom team when you're PE class being on the ice and playing two or three games every single week. It's, it's going to benefit me being on the bottom team in Canada than it would be me playing at home so he helped me and kind of pushed me through it and I just kind of came to terms with it and said you know what I'll just I'll just go for it this year and see what happens and see if I want to come back the next year and thankfully I wanted to go back and made a better team and enjoyed myself a lot more but you know any any kid or any person in their time whether it's work sport related anything they get they get those pushbacks and setbacks that kind of knock them down but uh, I'm thankful for, for my old man to be able to kind of help me through that and, and push me on to go an extra mile. So that's the reason why I stick with it, I think. Going on from that, just to close this section down about Notre Dame, um, one of the quotes I got from Olivia today 
because um, we discussed about Notre Dame and obviously she was there and then you, you moved out there, bottom team to top team, proper rags to riches stuff. And her quote was, he's worked his ass off to get to this top team in his senior year. And just from listening to you talking now and the fact you picked your phone up to your parents saying you couldn't do it, didn't want to do it. And they've said, no, you're doing it. Keep going, keep fighting. And you've picked yourself up. You scrubbed yourself down and kept going. It's only credit to you, mate. It really is. And it shows that you worked your backside off. And that's the reason why you're playing the sport today still. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been tough. But I'm, I'm happy that I've stuck with it because uh, it's allowed me to be where I am now. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, just following on the back of that as well for you, Clara, there. That second year, you know, you, you said you had that first year, you know, you were probably, should we say, in a bit of a, a downward headspace. You're like, oh, I don't want to be Like you said, you've touched on it yourself. That second year, though, like Olivia said, you've worked, you worked your backside off. You've got up, you've got in that team, worked your way up to the top team. And then at that same time, you've jumped into the GB under-18s. You know, you played in Division 1A that year as well, with them as well. So what kind of experience do you, do you think knuckling down and kind of putting your mind to it helped you get into the GB under-18s that year? Or or do, do you think, obviously, because of the status of being in Notre Dame, that would have come out anyway? What, from your perspective, do you think it's come about because, obviously, you're over there and it's, you know, young British lad, he's, we'll put him in the team? Or do you think because of the hard work you've put in with them, the points you put up as well, that's obviously contributed a lot more than some people would take credit for? Oh, that's a tough question. And to be completely honest, um, I think it's more to do with, with status. And I think it's the same how it is now um, of who you are and um, where you've played. Not about talent, uh, especially back then. Um, but I have seen a few cases recently in the same sort of uh, scenario. But definitely being over in Canada helped me get a better chance of getting to the team regardless of talent um but i will say that being being in canada and you know learning to live by myself and uh becoming an adult and a leader you know at a young age allowed me to be captain of gb and and under 18s and have that extra step over some of the guys being on the ice more um So yeah, GB that was a that was an incredible experience. And going off what what you said and what we just spoke about too is that with status as well is that I didn't have to attend any of the trials. I was in, I was in Canada at school. I, my parents were not forking out you know the the however many pounds it was to fly me back to stay in the country for a few weeks to train at midnight in Sheffield to go to England training or Guildford at one in the morning for for England training and stuff uh, to fly me back out to, you know, bring me back in a, a few weeks time for the tournament. They just weren't going to do it. So I didn't even have to trial. So that's where I think it is a little bit about status. And hey, I wasn't complaining at the time because I got to represent my country, which is amazing. But um, there was definitely some kids there maybe that got a, maybe deserved a little bit more of a chance. Uh, let's just say that. But um, to represent your country, obviously, was a great, a great honour for me, and to be able to captain them there in Holland, that was, that was amazing, and I definitely wasn't complaining about the the selection that year. 
Nah, I can't yeah. imagine anybody would be. <laughs> if no. they're getting a chance to play for their country at any sport, they're going to love it. That's what exactly what I said to Liam last week. So <laughs> you've already mentioned you get the captain. You know, next the next year in 2011-12 season, you've got to have some fun stories. There's got to be something. Like Liam said last week, he had that situation with Ross. First time meeting him, he was getting him into bed, pretty much start naked, no more than a metre away from him. You've got to have some stories funny like that. That's just Ross, but yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know the, the stories about the under-18s or under-20s, I play with Liam in under-20s. Uh, yeah, the under-20s in 1B in, 20 yeah. in. Oh, the 20s, that was... Uh... <laughs> that was an interesting tournament for myself. Um, stories, let's see. Um, well, I mean, I mean, the whole tournament in general was a great tournament because obviously it was hosted in Scotland. Um, but I mean, it was not embarrassing, but it was a little bit like uh, we've been away to tournaments in in Holland and played in these amazing arenas and played in <laughs> Latvia and, and Riga's KHL stadium and amazing dressing rooms. And we get to Dumfries in Scotland and every team is getting changed in like a porter cabin, like caravan type porter cabin. Oh, there's like 30 of us crammed into this caravan. And we won. We won a game um, against. Oh, I don't know. I think it was France, maybe in the shootout. We won. I, I swear the caravan came off its, you know, <laughs> off its moorings and was rolling down the car park. We were bouncing. <laughs> some. Uh, it was. Uh, it was a different experience to play in Dumfries. I absolutely loved it, but uh, it was a lot different to being in an NHL-style dressing room to be getting dressed in a caravan, ready to represent your country. It's a, it's a little bit of a different <laughs> mindset that year. But then again, you're representing your country, so once you get on the ice, nothing changes. But uh, other funny stories, I don't know. I mean, me, Liam, and Ross decided, even though we couldn't grow facial hair at all, I, I don't know whose idea it was. It might have been Ross because Ross loves mustaches he absolutely loves facial hair so he decided to get the razor out and we're sharing this one razor between us shaving our face and putting mascara on our mustaches ready for the final game against Japan we're in in Liam and Ross's room in the bathroom putting this mascara on our mustaches like oh we're gonna look so good coming out against Japan everyone's gonna be looking at us we get out on the ice there's like 10 people there anyway and we've just got mascara on our upper lip so yeah we were quite embarrassing back then as we are now but back then uh, that, that wasn't cool at all that's crazy. That's crazy. Do you think he was like that because he would he would have been playing with Blaze at that point, wouldn't he? So he'd have been around all the big brawly men growing their beards and everything for playoffs. So he's probably oh, one in the facial hair. <laughs> v was for sure, and he he's grown. I I will say this about V. He does grow a very good, you know, set of facial hair. It's not easy for us men to be able to grow a good beard. I mean, mine is awful. Like I. My neck beard joins up to my body hair at times, and it grows in ten different di- you know, directions. 
had a view was just loving it. He was like, oh, we need to go mustaches. We need to get mascara and black it out. Like, we need to look good. It was a terrible idea looking back at it, but we got some good pictures anyway, so. <laughs> oh, brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I could just imagine it now. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> so going back to then, should we say club level or junior level? So we've kind of jumped timelines a bit. We've gone to the under-20 tournament. Let's go back maybe a couple of seasons. You move off from Notre Dame and you go into, you know, Ogden Mustangs, um, 2012-13. Big jump or was it a shock to you? It, it was a little bit of a shock at first, I'm not going to lie. It was uh, not as big as a jump I'd obviously hoped for. Um, when I was in my last year at school, I got um, trials for a... NAHL team, NAHL, I think I said that right, North American yeah. Hockey League team. It was a good junior league and uh, I wasn't sure where I was going to go or what I was going to do. So I got trials there to a spring camp and, you know, I did really well and everyone got a meeting and there were cuts and all sorts and invites to main camp afterwards, which was the last and final camp. So I got invited back to main camp and, you know, I said to the guy, I spoke to him with my dad and I said, look, I can I can't afford like we can't afford to fly me out to Minnesota for you know a four day camp from England if there's zero chance of me getting you know cut from the team here and he said no um, there's no imports coming um, um, I can almost guarantee you a spot like you you've really impressed us this that and the other so my dad was like okay we're gonna pay for you for a flight. But before we go to Minnesota, we're going to take you to Ogden on the way. Um, this guy's been in contact, which is a lower a lower level of junior hockey, just in case things, you know, go pear shaped in uh, in Minnesota. So we went to Ogden, visited the rink, amazing place. Got to have a skate by myself and stuff. An absolutely amazing place, which I'll get into afterwards. But I went to Minnesota thinking, oh, I have a chance here, you know, only only imports showing up. And back then it was only two imports per, per team in that league. Um, and I get, in, I get into the line for registration and there's about seven guys in front of me, about six foot four, speaking Russian to each other. And I was like, oh, here we go. I've got no chance. Got absolutely no chance. But I, I had a good main camp, but those guys, obviously at the end I, I get cut and they decided to go with a goalie and you know, someone else, and so that was a bit of a kick in the teeth, but, you know, I went back to Ogden, and it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest standard of hockey that first year, I must say, um, it, yeah, it, it wasn't great, but I really enjoyed the place in Utah, you know, you're surrounded by mountains, I get to go to practice, and, you know, go off skiing for the day afterwards, and that experience was, was really, really good, but, the only reason I went back the next year is because the, the North American Hockey League, which I trialed for, ended up folding. So oh, wow. all the players were coming down to our league from that league. So from then, the, the next two years were really competitive. Um, it was a really competitive league. So that's the reason that I stuck it out in Ogden for three years. But that first year was, was a bit of a shock to the system. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't as... 
fast or physical or anything like that that I, that I really had in mind. So, um, but I'm definitely glad I stuck with it for the next two years for sure. During that first year, um, if I've got it right, you were joined by fellow Brits Ben Russell, who was at MK last year, and Bobby Chamberlain, who's at MK this year. Did that make the transition easier having a couple more Brits there with you? Who, yeah, you in a English speaking country, but having a few home comforts, as to say, does it make it easier? Oh, definitely. And I mean, I played with both Ben and Bobby prior to Ogden for for GB in England and stuff like that. So I, I knew I knew them both quite well. And let me tell you, Bobby Chamberlain is a different specimen of a human. He is a character. Um, ben Russell, nicest. Like we became really good friends out there. He's one of the nicest guys ever. But Bobby Chamberlain, I've got some stories in Ogden from that guy. He, the first series of games, uh, the coach came up to us and said, "Okay, that they had an enforcer, the, a team from California called Valencia Flyers." They had an enforcer who was the heavyweight of the league, I guess. And Bobby Chamberlain was still 17, so he couldn't even wear a visor yet. And in warm-up, he skated up to this guy and said, hey, the sheriff's in town. Whenever you want to go, let me know when you want to go. And this guy was looking at this small Bobby Chamberlain like, are you serious? So then poor Bobby, Bobby's like, I'm ready for him. I'm going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go toe-to-toe with him. I'm ready. And Bobby's just been out for a two-minute shift, you know, undisciplined shift. He's been out for two minutes. He's absolutely gassed. This guy comes fresh off the bench, chases him down, turns him around and said, okay, let's go, Sheriff. And Bobby, being Bobby, drops his gloves, suckers him, picks him up and, and wrestles him to the ground and gets up and skates to the penalty box, giving it the guns and the, all the things. Oh, my <laughs> oh. We'll have to we'll we... have to uh, speak to Bobby see if we'll get him on. <laughs> oh, for sure, he can tell you the same story. But he he tried to fight whatever guy he could that year, and I think if you guys remember, he came back to the elite league after that year, maybe for Hull. And yeah, he had some yeah, good yeah. scraps with Selbs. He fought, you know, um, he fought some tough people in the elite league. I think that year and. Um, he, he had quite. He, he was a really good player, Bobby. He, he, he was a good goal scorer and hard forward. You know, he, he worked really hard off the ice and in the gym and stuff. Um, he could have had a great career in the elite league if he um, if he would have been given a fair chance. So, uh, but yeah, that guy is he's different. He's different. If you get him on, you guys will need to meet yourselves because you'll be you'll be in tears throughout. I'm sure. <laughs> We'll uh, we'll put a little reach out to him then. I'm sure, I'm sure. So you can help sway that one if we need it to. <laughs> I'll message him for sure. Yeah. Saying well, just interjecting very quickly again, um, and I'm going off script a bit here. You've mentioned that after that first season, the NAHL disbanded and players were dropping down and better players coming to the league. But then next two seasons, you will the C. You must yeah. have done something. Are you were. Your game's got to have gone tenfold. If you're getting better players come down, but you're still there leading the pack, that your game just has got to improve so much in that that short space of time. Um, because, well, look in any sense in football, you buy a star player, he gets the captain's armband nine times out of ten. You don't tend to see it stay in a certain club, but you've stayed there, stayed as the C. That must have shown so much of your gaffer. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think he's one of the main reasons, well, he is the main reason why I did get the C, but he, he handles himself, you know, his morals, he's a very loyal, loyal person. His name's Jake LeMay and he, uh, he kind of grew up playing the game and uh, was a pro hockey player that, um, you know, kind of had a tough go. He was an enforcer who, you know, traveled from team to team and um, couldn't really get a stint anywhere for a long amount of time. And he he took that upon himself to be to be loyal to those who were loyal to him. And he he was very loyal to me. He wanted to bring me back and said that, you know, he wanted to make me a captain regardless of the situation. And, um, yeah, he, that he wanted me to be a captain. So even with those good players coming down, I was able to lead the team and never got to win a championship out there in Ogden. But we we came very close those last two years. We had we had an amazing, amazing team the second and third year uh, playing there. And, um you know, being captain throughout that process uh, was, a, again, a great honour for me. And Canada Canada and GB really helped me with the captaincy. Uh, being a leader at a young age and being able to be captain in, or assistant captain in Canada and captain for, for Great Britain, it was a, a relatively easy transition for me to captain that team. But a great honour, like I said, yeah. Saying about the second and third year, um, again, if my stats are correct, um, the second year you were joined by a couple more British players, Craig Moore and Niall Quinn, who was a netminder. Um, I believe he's retired now for looking at all the stats. Um, with them two guys coming over for their first year, did they lean on you as a second-year vet, if to say, who's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, they're new to the, the team, new to the setup? Yeah, um well, Noel was a goalie, so he he kind of got it tough. We uh, I think that year we had three goalies as well, so I think Noel got kind of the short end of the stick on that one. It's always tough to be a goalie, um, but for Craig, he he was a mixture between forward and and D, I believe, and he did both very well. But I mean, that guy, he is the hardest working human being, often on the ice I've ever seen. He he makes sure. Whenever he's in the gym or on the ice, he is the hardest working guy. He wants to outwork absolutely everybody. If somebody went up to him and said, "You know, I've got, I've got bigger quads than you," he'd be in. The, he'd say, "No, you haven't." He'd get in a mood, go to the gym, and squat as much as he can. He's just that type of person. But yeah, he. I definitely tried to help help those two as much as I possibly could. You know, the transition's not easy. It's a completely different lifestyle over in. America than it is in the UK but I think Craig transitioned to that lifestyle and that sort of hockey very well I mean he's a tough kid and he he met the physical side of the game quite easily and um, I didn't have to help him too much to be fair he, he he's a great professional and handled himself very well so and then on one last couple of well last couple of things for Ogden um, obviously the final year Liam Charnock of Leeds Chiefs joined over and Alex Forbes the name hey. of the Blaze fans <laughs> what was Forbes like as a kid he still oh. seems like a kid to me do you know what he that guy shocked me halfway through the season <clears throat> like you would not believe he he was a very um, I always got told by everybody that he was a very skillful player like quick skillful like 
goal scorer. Um, just his skill was next to none. And Forbes, he didn't really get that chance with Ogden to show off his skill. But my lord, he doesn't look very big. He doesn't look very muscly or anything like that. But that guy can hit like an absolute train and he is strong. I just remember him skating around the ice and absolutely crushing guys twice his size. And people going to crush him and him just standing them up and returning the favor and dropping them. And he, he, that's, I think Ogden might have been where he might have transformed himself into that kind of player. Because if you look at what he does for the Blaze, I mean, last year he was. He was absolutely fantastic um, when I was injured, dropping back on D. But as a forward, I mean, many, very rarely you see Forbesy lose the puck in the corner. He's so strong and so so good at protecting the puck because he is so strong. You very rarely see him lose the puck down low in the corner, and he's very effective that way. And he can eat up a lot of minutes and tear uh, and tire out. Um, the opposition in the defensive zone. So uh, I think Ogden might have been the days where he might have transformed his game into to learning the tougher side, tougher side and losing the skill a little bit. But fair play to him. He's, uh, he's embraced that role and become uh, an amazing, amazing player from it. And then one final thing on Ogden, then we'll uh, look at coming back home to Coventry. Um, Ogden retired your jersey. Um, how did that come about? And again, what an honour. I think we've used the word honour a lot tonight and <laughs> I think it says a lot. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, Ogden was a very new team at that point. They hadn't been a team for very many years before I got there. I think that maybe the year that I got there was maybe like their second or third year as a team, like even maybe second year as a team. So because I was maybe the first player that they'd had that had been loyal to them and stayed there for the three years because the junior career is normally three years uh, when you're 18 to 21. Uh, because I stuck with them throughout those three years, they just got in contact with it, in contact with me and decided that they wanted to retire my jersey, the number eight, for, for just a season so nobody could wear it just to show their appreciation and re- respect for me. So that was... Uh, really nice touch for them. I mean, I got treated so well in that place. Anything that I ever needed, the owner, the coach, the billets, whoever it was, they, they treated you so well there. Um, so that was a really nice touch for them to do that. Yeah, any time a team says to you, we're going to retire a jersey, I suppose, you just think, what have I done? <laughs> first first yeah. thought is always, what have I done? <laughs> How have I managed sure. this? pinch myself for this moment but no that's nice of him to do that as well so you said you wore number eight for Ogden I did yeah I wore number eight pretty much my entire entire life until my first year back with Coventry why the change Ned Lukasiewicz was the change he he was uh, number eight for Coventry and at that time I signed on a two year deal with MK uh, two way contract sorry yeah. With MK and Blaz Emisic, who was a you know a English hockey legend, he he wore number eight for MK, and I said to Ross, I was like, Ross, I don't know what number to go with. And by the way, Ross chose the number fifty nine for a specific reason. If he ever gets on, I'll let you, I'll let him tell that story. Uh, but 
I said to Ross, I was like, what number do I choose? And he said, just go 58, because it's one lower than me. Like, you should be 58 and 59. I was like, okay, fair enough. So I just chose 58 from that. No, it could have been any number, but because Ross told me to, um, I chose the number 58. <laughs> and that was that. There was me in my head going, oh, he obviously likes Crystal Tang. He's gone for Crystal Tang's number, or number eight. He obviously likes Drew Doughty, so he's gone for Drew Doughty's number. You've gone one below Ross, Jesus. I love it. I love it. Because whenever you ask any other player, there'll always be there's something behind it. So like, I know a guy and he's got, he wears a certain number and he goes, oh, it's my kid's birthday. It's the, it's the day in the month. And I was like, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a nice touch. Uh, when I wore, I always wore 21. That's my date of birth, 21st. So mm. I always went 21. When you said 58, I, I was thinking, there's got to be an unusual reason. There's got to be some sort of story. But now you said that, uh, you've got to just make something up. If anybody asks you again, just make something up. Don't let Ross take the credit for you having that. And that is also why Liam chose 57, because he said to us, what number do I choose? And I said, well, I went one down from Ross. You've got to go one down from me. So he's like, okay. So that was it. Liam chose 57, and that was that. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> Not the greatest of stories, but yeah. <laughs> so, we've touched upon it. You've come back to UK. You've got Milton Keynes' two-way deal with Blaze. Obviously, Chuck Weber's coach at the time. Um, did he come out to you and say, I want you? Or was it, again, you were looking to return back and it was a let's touch base with, with Coventry and see what they can offer me? Or how did that come about? Like, from obviously our perspective, we think Coventry Boy has got to be some sort of affiliation there and it's an easy move, or was it just a, a part look? Oh, uh, well, James Pease was someone who always looked out for me and helped me as a kid. So after my last year in Ogden, I was kind of sitting around for months with a really bad back injury to the point where I, I couldn't even walk. Um, I was being pushed around in a wheelchair for weeks and um, but James Pease, I got in contact with him. I said, is there any jobs available at the Blaze? He said, well, we've already got our British defenseman, Stephen Chalmers, but um, I can get you in the, the second league with uh, Milton Keynes and you can be on a two-way contract with us. And without kind of blinking, I was just like, yep, sure, that's absolutely fine. Um, it makes it easier because I wanted to go to university. So I was going to university in Coventry and the Milton Keynes travel on the train, 30 minutes, one stop. It was a no-brainer for me. Mm. Um, so he was kind of the reason of why I uh, ended up in MK and on a two-way with Coventry. That's a good little deal there then. So if I'm right in thinking at that time, we've got in MK, got the likes of, uh, obviously you've got yourself, James Griffin, Lee Jameson, just to name a couple of defenders that we all know. Bobby Chamberlain's there, you know, he's yes, right. he is. Jordan County's in there as well. I think he was on a two-way from Dundee. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Hook, who's obviously come on uh, leaps and bounds. Jack Watkins, obviously, you know, am I right thinking that's something to do with Tommy Watkins? Um, yeah, yep. he was there as well. So what was it like being in that dressing room? Coming obviously from Ogden, you've got a couple of faces, you know, and then obviously you've got future GB coach, Pete Russell coach in your town at the time. What... What was that like going from, you know, junior, should we say semi-pro junior hockey level to you know, more of a men's semi-pro pro hockey level with us and, and them? Yeah, well, I mean, the, those guys, the, those MK guys, like for the EPL teams, they kind of stick together for 
they've probably been together for you know five six plus years and beyond um so a lot of those guys like grant mcpherson lee jameson um Adam Carr and Michael Farn and all these guys have been together for absolute years. Um, and I must say that the MK boys, like that team and that chemistry and um, the the vibe that they had around the room and everything, it, it, they're the best bunch of guys, exception to the season that I've just played with that group. But they're the best bunch of guys that I, I've had the chance to play with just on and off the ice. They're, they're just amazing people, like an absolute great laugh. Um, but we had a really good team. And with with who you've just said, like in Griff, who's had elite league experience, and J-Mo, who had elite league experience, and Bobby, County, Hooky, like all of those guys, we had a really, really good team. And it was a very competitive year. Like, you know, Guilford had the... The Lundines, the Matto, and you know the uh, the oh, I, I can't say his name properly, but he used to play for the Blaze. That Matt Crouch or Crouch or Crouch or oh, uh, Matty uh, Crowl, Matty Crowl. Yeah, that's the War rate you played for the Blaze. Yeah, so it was a very good league and it was very competitive. And um, but you know, just some things happened which uh, didn't go to plan for me and. Um, unfortunately, Stephen Chalmers got kind of, uh, well, he broke his leg and he, he ended up having to retire, which was a sad moment. And, you know, Chuck didn't come to me or try and poach me or anything like that. He didn't want to do anything that might got him into trouble. I actually approached him and said, even if I'm the seventh, eighth, ninth defenseman, I want to come here full time and um, see if I can play. So luckily for, for me, Chuck accepted it. And um, I quit in MK uh, in like November or December, I think it was. And I've uh, been at the Blaze since. So. Took destiny to your own hand and said, I'm not, I'm having it. I'm not missing this opportunity. Unfortunate, obviously, what happened to, to obviously Stephen. Um Back playing now though, if I if I'm right with with Hall, so uh, yeah. uh, played yeah. a couple of uh, lower divisions in uh, Sweden as well. So it's good to see him back at least. At least he's obviously still playing some sort of hundred percent. Yeah, but, yeah. You you've obviously there's an opening there. You've as anybody would selfishly, they've got to think. Well, I want to progress my career now. I'm taking that jump. You know, you go on to play forty odd games for the rest of that year, uh, getting four assists. Uh, and somehow managing 24 penalty minutes in that same time. <laughs> I don't know how you've managed that. <laughs> I was probably serving somebody's pen. Who was, who was the scrapper that year? Who was on that team that first Let's year? Let's have a look. That um, would 2015-16. No one really. Bruton came in and that did the job. Bruce. Well, we had Boris too. Boris. Uh, serving a lot of yeah. minute misconduct Boris. abuse in the official. So, uh, uh yeah, I mean, the transition for me going to the Blaze that year was, was something different. And Chuck is detail-wise and everything, like what he puts into the, what he put into the team on and off the ice, like the hours that he spent with everybody and even individually, um, he, he, he was amazing. And he gave me a great chance that first year and, you know, put me on a regular regular line trying to match me up against other teams third and fourth lines to give me some experience and throw me out on the power play and I even remember we went to the playoff final that year and I didn't touch the ice the entire game in the semi-final 
because we were winning. They didn't want me to go out and be a liability and whatnot, which is fair <laughs> enough. And then uh, in the final, we were 2-0 down. And for the last eight minutes, I was getting double shifted because I had a bit of an offen- offensive touch over the likes of maybe, you know, Noble or Boris or someone like that who didn't really get those offensive zone minutes. He, he was double shifting me in the last eight minutes of the final. So he... he <laughs> He was, uh, I want to say he's knowledgeable, but putting me out in the last eight minutes, double shifting, I'm not so sure. But he, he's one of the best coaches that I've had the chance to play under. Um, you know, from video to practice to games, the the knowledge that that guy has, he, he he's an amazing coach. So I'm very lucky to have had him. That's good. It's good to hear. We've got here, obviously you've mentioned it, Playoff final, obviously, didn't unfortunately go our way. Uh, we were hoping it would be back to back. One of those things we came up with, it's a very good Nottingham side. But Ash has put this. Now, I, it doesn't stick out to me because I was in a different location at, planet, um, at playoff weekend. I was, unfortunately, at ice level dressed as a big green fuzzy dragon, shall we say. <laughs> um, Crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not a fish to be it anymore, so I can say what I like. Crocodile. Um, Ash has put a big standoff with Josh Batch. Is that during that game, Ash? You probably know it better than me. It was the warm up was over, and you know how you get players they're waiting to go off the ice, and we obviously we played Calvin semi final, and you've got I'm sure it's Josh Batch. If it's not, shoot me down. One end of the ice, and you got Clemo. The other end of the ice, flicking a puck up, then on the ice from Snow Angel, was just standing off to see who was going to go off the ice first. What, why, how, just where the heck did that come from? What about, what well, about just like a rock, paper, scissors? Would that be quicker? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I kind of had in my head in warm ups, like that first year, I was a huge warm ups guy because I was like, now's my time to shine. I'm not going to touch the ice for the next 60 minutes. I'm going all out for the for this uh, 20 minute warm up here, and uh, I remember like everyone had got off the ice and I was kind of still shooting pucks and it was Josh Batch and that uh, I think his name was Havato maybe for Cardiff. Zach Havato. Yeah, and they they wouldn't get off the ice and I remember kind of skating towards the bench and I saw Chuck and all the fans were throwing these you know, beach balls, blow up beach balls and inflatables onto the ice. And I was kind of having fun with them and kind of being an idiot, I'm not going to lie. But I kind of <laughs> skate to the bench and I see Chuck in the corridor and I see him looking. I was like, oh, no, like I'm in trouble here. Like I, I, I'm messing about. This is a semi-final here. And I kind of, he kind of walks up to me and he says, stay. He's like telling me to stay on the ice. So I was like, all right, I'm staying on. And I'd just carry on skating around and would would not be the last um the first guy off the ice until the referees came out in half of their gear, blowing the whistles, kicking us off the ice. They they had to come on. We delayed the game by about ten, fifteen minutes. And I remember getting back into the room and everyone was just sat there quiet and I walked in and everyone was screaming and cheering and going mental in the dressing room and I was like okay yeah that was uh, my one my one moment of fame for the semi-final was being an idiot in warm-ups but after we <laughs> won that game uh, 
you know, I had guys come up to me and say, you need to do that tomorrow. You need to do that tomorrow. That That's great. You played mind games with them, which I didn't think I did. And obviously I did it against Nottingham in the final and it didn't really go our way. So guys were quick to blame me for the loss in the, in the <laughs> final afterwards. But uh, that was fun. That was really fun. There's a question that's come to me off the back of it, and it's something I remember saying um, the following season to myself, because you did it a, a lot the following season. I think the, the, the next year, you know, Danny's first year, uh, there's you, Nobs, and someone else. You, you always stayed on the ice, even at home games. Lights would go down, you'd be flicking pucks down the other end of the ice. Did it become a superstitious thing for you after that semi-final win? Are you superstitious? Because I, I know there was a lot of a Twitter stuff going on I'd seen, uh, and I won't go into details, but there, there were some people saying, oh, it's stupid. Some people saying, you know, it's, it's probably a superstitious thing. I was very much on the superstitious side. Would you say that was correct or would you just say, no, I'm just, I was being, I was just having a bit of fun? <laughs> it's a little bit of both, to be honest. I mean, after that, I, get, I mean, the amount of abuse I got from Cardiff and Nottingham fans and every fan in the building, you know, except our own fans, uh, the amount of abuse I got on Twitter, like people saying, oh, he's just living up the only ice time he's getting that playoff final weekend and all that, which was fair. I, I, you know, I eat that up. I love that. If I can make someone angry in the crowd from staying on the ice a few extra minutes at the end of the warm-up, then I absolutely love that. So after, <laughs> after four games, I just said, you know what? If, if I'm going to annoy some people here, then I'm going to annoy some people. That's absolutely fine. So... It became a little bit of a superstition to stay out on the ice, but also me just being a little bit of an idiot um, <laughs> to the point where I think it was either last season or the season before I was like, I, I got to grow up here and get off the ice and get my head in the game a little bit uh, <laughs> instead of messing about. But I agree with you, Danny. I was definitely superstition. And thanks for having my back anyway. <laughs> no, I, I know exactly like what, what you're going through. I, I, it's silly because I only played juniors and rec and even at rec level, something I did at junior, if I had a good game, I would always remember how I put my skates, my pads and everything on and I tried to mimic it next game. If it didn't work, I switched it up and tried something else. Uh, and then I got to a point where I thought, you know what, I've been an idiot. <laughs> and I just yeah, packed it in sure. all together. Um, but that, that's, that's that second season for you. You know, you've come on full time, 51 games. You've scored your first goal, ironically against the Devils <laughs> at the Skydome yeah. as well. What kind of moment did that, did that like just explode with pure like glee inside you like yes and it's against devils as well everybody loves that <laughs> yeah it was just it was more of a sign of relief um you know from growing up in in canada and america and playing you know hockey against my own age kids and being able to score goals and put up points to have to come back to pro hockey and worry about the defensive side of the game and you know starting off as a defensive liability and you know, not being able to go out for D-zone face-offs and in the last f- five minutes of periods, um, I had to really focus on becoming a better defenseman and playing my position. But being able to score finally was a huge sign of relief and um, kind of an, uh, a cringe moment, if you like, is um, obviously being a Blaze fan since I was a kid and growing up watching Ashley Tate, I score and I turn and you know, he's there with his arms up giving me the first hug. So it was kind of a, a cool moment for me to be able to score my first goal against against Cardiff and have Ash there to, to give me my first 
pro goal hug. So it was a very <laughs> good moment for sure. On on Ash, then you've brought him up, so I'm, I'm going to ask you. It's one that's always stuck with me. He he seems very stern all the time. His facial expressions are very stern. Is he like that off the ice? I've never really spoke to him, so I can't comment. But to me, looking from a distance, I'm always like, I'm not approaching this guy. He looks like he's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he is, yeah. I'll say he's, he, his facial expressions and the way he carries himself are definitely... He's, but he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. I mean, he, he would do... For me, anyway, he would have done anything for me, anything for Ross, anything for the Brits. He was an amazing leader and captain and um, assistant coach when he was there. Um, but, you know, we all, everyone called him, all the imports called him, um, you know, the uh, Becks and David Beckham of hockey because he'd rock him with his, you know, Gucci wash bag and dressed, dressed amazingly every single day. It could be, it could be a seven o'clock practice and we'd have to be there for six and he'd be dressed up in the most amazing stuff looking absolutely <laughs> incredible. And everyone's like, how do you do it? How do you do it? But he he has got that moody moody kind of look about him, but he's absolutely harmless and he's one of the nicest guys and best guys that I've had the chance to play with. So Fair enough. Fair enough. That answers, that answers my personal question on him. Yeah, then. for sure. <laughs> but he's still playing, isn't he? 45 years old and he's still playing. He's the Greyhound, that's what everyone calls him. He's the Greyhound. He don't stop. And uh, I think if he, um, maybe if circumstances were different, he would have been in the Elite League for a lot longer, but he got that opportunity to go to go uh, down south and he's done really well with that Basingstoke team and on and off the ice as a coach and as a player. And um, I think he's going to, be playing for a few more years so he's the greyhound for a reason he's a <laughs> an unbelievable player had a great career in the elite league and i think he'll continue for a few more years for sure really do you think he'll become a coach or do you think he'll just hang it up and that's it i'm done he definitely he definitely has the knowledge and um the leadership qualities to become a great coach if he wanted to become a coach in the elite league but i think now with him he's He's kind of winding down. Maybe he's, you know, he's had a kid not too long ago, and um, I, I'm not sure. I don't talk to him as much as I used to, but um, I'm sure if he wanted to coach, there'd always be a place for him in this league. With his knowledge and his experience, I think any team would be silly to pass up uh, Ash as a coach for their team. Yeah, fair comment. I, I don't, I don't. I, if he was, to, if they, if anybody was to say elite league level, well, there's here's an opportunity and actually take steps and you'd be thinking, right, there's going to be a lot of changes there and that team's going to be something else now. They're not going to be the same team. They're going to be totally different, but it's whatever he wants, isn't it? But moving on with yourself then, you've gone from second season, first goal, third season, grabbing your second goal. Penalty minutes in this season jumped massively. Uh, 14 in your second, up to 58. You, you, you just have a knack of getting penalty minutes. <laughs> it seems to be a trend. <laughs> Is that the year with Danik the cat? Uh, 17-18, yes. Really? No, that was, no. Yes, it was. Yeah, Wasn't it was Danik Paquette's year because, yeah. Plotsy was the that, year before, yeah. <laughs> that's his fault. It's Paquette's fault. He, <laughs> he, I said to him one day, I said, um, at, at practice, I said, hey, can you can you teach me like a good grip for a fight because you're kind of similar height to me 
and you fight some big boys. So teach me like a good grip or, you know, how you grip against a player. So he's like, okay, after practice, we'll drop the gloves and I'll show you a few things. So there's me thinking, you know, we're just going to drop him. He's going to show me a few grips and how to protect myself. The guy grabs me, jabs me in the face with his left hand, like with his grip. And it gives me a bloody lip, like my lip was like gushing with blood. And he like he digs his thumb from his grip into my sternum to the point where I, I like collapsed to the floor, like to the ice in practice. It was like okay, so, so I was shook by that, completely shook. But he taught me a few things, and um, because of that, I think my first fight that year was against Fife. He he got into a scrap with Tommy Muir and yeah. I got into one shortly after with uh, Russ Moyer. I think Russ got up and said some things regarding him being French and me being the big old tufty that I am uh, decided to stick up for Pac and he absolutely <laughs> loved that and he said if I ever got into any trouble he'd be the first to come in and protect me and I, I, I don't think many guys were, would have wanted to fight Pac that year so I felt very protected and that's probably why my penalty minutes went up a little bit. I was able to get out on the ice and be a little bit more of a rat and wind people up and, and get into some bad situations knowing that I had Pac having my back so uh that's probably why the pins went up that yeah for sure. i'm not gonna complain you're doing a job at the end of the day um the one that stood out for me though was that away game in dundee i think uh ferrara gets hit up the boards and i don't know who it was um you just you just came and you just i'm having you and i think you absolutely went hammer on him um i don't think he got punching on you i, I remember that one that stuck out for me um because then for some reason, Dundee fans turned on you. <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason, I don't know. It was a, it was a bad hit. I remember watching it, and back then, and you know, Ferrara stayed down, and you you did your job. You came in and you showed whoever it was, um, you not to be messed with. And I think that one for me made me stand up and take notice. Hold on a minute, he's not here just to to play the game. He is going to be physical as well. Um, yeah, we were on a tough year that year as well. I mean, we had some amazing talent in. You know, guys like Dingle, Petrus, Valorand, and we, we we had some amazing talent, but we, we just did not click on the ice one bit. And um, it was just one of those games where we made a long trip up. Things may not have been going our way. Feds takes a bad hit, and I'm on the ice, and I'm like, forget this. I'm chasing this guy down and see what happens. And I'm glad I did it. I gained major respect from some of the guys after that and just tried to do a job. You know, I didn't. I wasn't the guy that if we were in a slump, I was going to go out there and put the puck in the back of the net or, you know, make a fancy, fancy backdoor pass to, for a tap in. I was the guy that maybe said, you know what, I'll, I'll try and hit someone or spark the team trying to have maybe a scrap. So that's what I did. And it turned out to be a good fight. Um, and, and yeah, so that's probably where most of my folks has come from is protecting guys that I got along with. So yeah. so yeah, the player from Dundee was Riley Stadel. I knew yeah. that was going to pull it out. <laughs> yeah, Riley him Stadel twice, and he dummied me the second time. That was when he played for Manchester. At, at home that was at the Skydome, he... wasn't it? Sent at the yeah. Skydome. Yeah, he got me that yeah. one. One each. One each, one on one, that's fine, I'll take that. <laughs> Did you also have a little bit of a, a run-in with Farmer one year? 
Am I right in thinking that? Who doesn't have a running with Farmer? <laughs> no, but I think I think I think you went proper in on him, didn't you, Clem? If I remember correctly. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was both of us wrong place, wrong time. So they Nottingham's uh, star player that year was Luke Pither, who was an amazing player. And uh, I was just trying to shut, shut him down in the D zone. And I remember kind of, I didn't hit him. I just, I pushed him with one hand and he kind of went awkwardly forwards into the boards. And I got a penalty for it, but I was just kind of standing there and I saw Farmer coming towards me and kind of, he didn't push me, he didn't grab me. He, he didn't act like he was going to do anything bad, to be fair to him. But I was like, forget it, I'm, I'm dropping a glove here just in case. So I dropped the glove. <laughs> And next thing you know, both of his were off. And I, I knew he was taller than me and bigger than me. And I just tried to stay away from him, which was a bad bad idea. I didn't have to get how to handle a bigger guy. But um, <laughs> he just started throwing these left hooks at me, like out of nowhere, which threw me off guard. Uh, so I ducked and we both fell over and I got up and he was still on his knees. And I decided to throw a massive dig into his, uh, into his ribs whilst he was down, <laughs> which was... Uh, <laughs> Terrible idea. So next year, I've got I've got Rizlin and uh, Lapine coming up to me saying you're dirty. I'm coming after you. So the next few games against Nottingham, I was kind of um, you know wearing a nappy around the ice. Uh, yeah. it, wasn't a, it wasn't a fun few uh, games against Nottingham. <laughs> well, let, uh, just because I'm watching it on Netflix at the moment, you took the Cobra Kai initiative. You struck first and you showed no mercy. Let's just leave it as that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Defending myself. <laughs> so we've talked about it on our episodes previously, um, and then we're, we're kind of on the, the fighting subject. What's your opinion on it? Should it stay? Should it be eradicated? Yeah, it should stay, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't mind the rule of them keeping in. You know, if you take your helmet off, you, you get an extra penalty. That's fine. If they want to protect guys from falling and hitting their heads on the ice and protecting from concussions I completely understand that Yeah. but it, for fans you know they love to see it that's one thing but for us players too like we that's what that's a huge reason why we were so successful last year is because Brawl had that fight against Sheffield and no matter who the player was after that how tough they were, who they fought in the past Nobody wanted to come near him, and that meant nobody wanted to come near any of us because they knew if they were to hit us or try and jump one one player or you know hit them bad or you know get dirty, they knew they'd have to deal with brawl. Yeah, and that's one thing about it that why it should stay because it protects players at the same time and it builds a spark for us. But the second reason is that if if a team is like when we've been down in the past with the Blaze and we've had guys like Garrett Klotz going toe to toe with McGratton and Bordalo and things like that, like the energy you gain from seeing your teammate having a fight to try and boost your energy levels up and tell you guys to wake up. Like I'm willing for my face to be smashed in for you to try and help you guys gain some momentum. Like it, it's mental what it does for you on the bench. I know for the fans, they absolutely love seeing a, a scrap, but for us, it's it's completely different. So, in that respect, I'd like to see it stay for sure. It definitely swings the momentum. I mean, from a fan perspective, I've been to games, and I'm sure you have as a you know a young lad. But you've seen a fight in, in come out. It's you know slender back in the day. Game probably wasn't going our, de- our way. Slender, you know, drops up. Next thing you know, plays of you know 
up and we're winning and we're like, hold on a minute, we were losing no more than five, ten minutes ago. It's all because that fight, that fight just energises the team. They're like, if he's willing to do that for us, it does swing the pendulum in our favour. And that's why I'm for it. I mean, I don't know about Ash and Ross's opinion on it, but yeah, we've talked about it before and I'm always for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the first to admit I love watching a good hockey fight. I'll sit there, I'm, I don't know, the kids are in bed, the miss is out. And I've listened to it on TV. I watch old hockey fights. The thing for me with fighting is, I wish they cut the stage fights, the ones where players are, you know, three weeks beforehand they're going to fight. Because for me, them fights that you they're more dangerous because people are preempting stuff. They think about it too much. And in a world where we've got a lot of stuff about um, mental health things like that. If you're sat there prepping for a fight with someone three times your size in three weeks' time, that can be good for your mental health. But, say, for example, like you've said, um, Riley Stadel hits Fed's late hit, puts him out of the game. You jump in. I'm all for that, 200%, because you're sticking up for your teammate, and that's part and parcel of the sport. But the stage fight is the ones that scare me um, as a fan, because I just... Well, I, I agree I, with I would, you, Ashton. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you say stage fights. I mean, you you go back a few years ago. You know, you you, that first preseason game, you're guaranteed as soon as that puck drops, them gloves are coming down. It doesn't, you know, I'm the toughest uh, enforcer in this league, not you. You know, and like you say, obviously when it's staged, they're they're talking about it and they before the game during warm up, you know, chirping each other, things like that. But you know, I'll. Oh, I love a good fight, you know, love a good yeah. scrap. But like, like you say, protecting your players 100%, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I, just... I must say to fit in too is that I feel bad for for those enforcers with those stage fights too because they, you know, I've been told from like Klotz and Paquette and other guys in the past that when they're in North America, not so much anymore in the elite league back back years ago yes 100 percent. even when Klotz was here he he knew that he he'd have to fight guys like Fitzgerald or Nielsen or McGrattan or Bordalo uh to prove a point and you know it was it was almost a kind of stage like you said but for those guys in North America they're looking at the lineup you know weeks in advance saying okay this guy's on so I'm gonna have to fight him and it does like Ash says like play a, a huge mental part of a guy's career and some of the guys can't handle it and unfortunately you see guys like Belak and Rippian and Bugard and stuff who who suffer with that depression from knowing that the only way that they can make money playing a sport that they love is is having to fight the toughest guy on the opposition team and knowing that your your face could get caved in and Having to go home to kids and family and stuff with a with a busted up face, it's just from a stage fight to prove to prove you know that you want to be able to earn money playing a sport that you love because you're not maybe the skilled guy, but because you're tough, it, it's not easy for them. So the stage fights for sure it can, can be scrapped. There, there's no part for it, but um, in the heat of the moment or to boost the team up or from a hit or anything like that, like you guys said, I think yeah. It, it still holds a place in the game, for sure. Yeah. It's like the Ferrari one we've touched upon, and then um, I think there was, obviously not the season just gone, but uh, the one where Lakes, Lakes last season with us in Sheffield, he gets hit, and I think again you stepped up 
Uh, I, I can't remember who it is, and I'm sure Ash is Jesse more. Owens, I think. Jesse Owens. Uh, Jor- yeah. Jesse or Jordan Owens? Jordan. Um, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan Owens yeah. with the That's dreadlocks. The War number yeah. 23. That's the one. I, I remember again. it. I remember. I was going to say, I think I was as well. I remember it. I remember, you know, Laker coming up the left, and yeah, head was kind of down, but the puck's underneath him, so you expect that he's trying to gain control, and the guy just comes in and levels him. I think he hits him to the head. From where I was sat, anyway, um, and then you just you just came from the other side of the rink, and you're like, I'm having you. Again, those fights, all four, but yeah, the staged ones. Like, I felt for Klotzy one year because I think we played Sheffield doubleheader. We had them away and then at home um, around Halloween, um, and I think at, at their place they absolutely dominated us. Uh, and then at home, the, like one of the first shifts is it's Klotzy versus Fitzgerald, and they're proper going for each other. I remember Klotzy splitting Fitzy's face open. Um, and you know, I feel I, I do feel from like that because he's literally sent out to do that job, and that's it. You know, he's, he's yeah, back sure. off the ice, and I feel for him because, I mean, from my perspective, I don't know about from your perspective, Clem. Um, he didn't seem to get many minutes, Klotzy, that year, but when he did, he seemed to play absolutely brilliantly. But he was only sent out to do the odd thing in front of the net or to to you know get involved in an incident. Um, and I felt for him because he was brought over to be a big tough guy and. And do a job, but he didn't really get the minutes that I thought he maybe deserved that year. I don't know about your opinion on that. I suppose it's difficult yeah. for you to say. <laughs> no, it, it is what it is. It's just a part of the game, I guess, which is which is tough. But we played four lines that year, and I think our four signs towards the end of the year was Russ, Ash, and Klotzy. And um, you know, at the end of the end of every single practice throughout the year, Klotzy was one of the last guys off the ice working on. His skating, his shooting, his stick handling. He was trying to become, he felt maybe in the elite league that he wasn't just an enforcer that he could play. So he he worked really hard in trying to, you know, develop his, his skill and his shooting and his skating. And in times of need, I mean, he came up with some big goals. I think he scored a few goals that year and had some big points for us. So, um I do feel for him that, the, you know, especially in North America, I think there was a story on him the following year where he started a full-on full on line brawl and bench clearance where he got suspended in the ECHL. But he, I know from Klotzy and who he is, I'm not sure what Liam said about him, but he's one of the, one of the nicest guys as well. And he, he, I couldn't say a bad thing about him, but being in that role that he's in, it's just it's just one of those things that unfortunately happens, I guess. Yeah, I think the only thing Liam said was uh, he walks in with ten bags on his arm. He's like, oh, oh hey, I'm here. <laughs> That's literally the only thing he said about it. Oh, and he busted his nose open when he had to egg him at one game. <laughs> but <laughs> but no, he said he was an nice. Animal. He's an yeah. absolute animal. His daily routine was before practice, where he come to the rink, get in his off-ice gear, and go to pure gym. He'd do a workout, go on the ice, go straight back to the gym, do a workout, eat, sleep, go to the gym, come back, eat dinner, go back to the gym, come back, eat a bit more, and go to sleep. He'd be in the gym four times a day with a practice every single day. And we, I'd be at Ross's and Liam's house all the time and be like, Clotty, what are you doing? Like, just just relax. He's like, well, if if I'm fighting McGratton in three weeks, like, I, I've got to, I've got to pump some iron, like, I gotta pump some iron. I'm like you. This is this is absolutely psycho. But fair play to the guy. I think he was probably 
even with McGrattan and Bordalo that year, he he was the toughest guy in the league that year for sure. Oh yeah, that that year there were some big guns, but yeah, he he didn't seem to step away, and he always he always seemed to stand up. I think there was a fight with McGrattan that year that he had in Nottingham, um, and they just went toe to toe. Oh, front row seats for that. It was scary, really scary. <laughs> <laughs> so, continue with yourself, then we'll move forward the next season, 2018-19. Um, probably, and it's come from a lot of fans that I've had mention it to me. A lot of fans' perspective of you changed, shall we say? You've you've kind of touched upon it. You didn't want to be the the guy that was thrown out there. That you know, in the last five minutes, there was that kind of situation shall we say this year you seem to be putting more of a, a bigger role um in my opinion and i know a lot of fans said it that you, you kind of stepped up your game even more then you know you played 60 games you got two goals which we will mention now um liam stewart doesn't quite believe you got that game <laughs> that last game of the season <laughs> he said Don't it came off a to toe <laughs> Wow, it's funny that he says that because I was really worried at first. And I, I don't know if you, from the video too, my reaction was like, okay, did I score that? Was that me? Because Nick Aforic was kind of in the picture and I didn't know if he touched it. But um, yeah, he said it was my goal. So just uh, for Liam, if you if you do listen to this at some point, uh, it was my goal. And thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> That will be edited later for a little video direct to Liam tomorrow. Thank you. Yeah, make sure he hears that. My goal. <laughs> oh, dropped. Sorry, I just stopped off there for a moment. Um, You're back. Oh, I'm back. Sorry, <laughs> my thing just dropped up altogether. So Saying about we'll oh, sorry, sorry Ash, I was just, I was just going to follow up on yourself. You mentioned about we'll do the video to Liam. We'll we'll dub it over the actual goal. Then there's no arguing for him. But okay. yeah, carry on, mate. Whatever you've got. Um, just saying about well, going off on a bit. Um, we discussed the game and goal, which was yours. Um, this season. Obviously, you've mentioned that one of the best locker rooms you've been in. And for me, I've said from day one, Blaze winning the playoffs. Simple as that. No arguments. We're going to finish second in the league. We're going to win the playoffs. Oh, no. Were we winning the playoffs? <laughs> Straight up. I mean, if you, if you ask every single player on our team, it was 100% no questions asked. We, we were on an absolute heater at the, at the end of that year. Um, I mean, you know, looking back to, you know, Stewie's first year in charge to last year, I don't think one system that he'd had in place, like his system that he had put in for his players had changed, not one system. Everything was the exact same the year just gone, defensive zone-wise, forechecking-wise, you know, power play-wise, everything was the same. But guys this year just bought in they they everyone that showed up bought into the system bought into the philosophy that Stewie put across to us and everyone just wanted to win games and we had a bit of a struggle at the start of the season um you know not too much of a struggle we were still in a good spot and 
it was kind of a shock to see uh, Philly go, Jamie Phillips. Uh, you know, no one expected it. We just got a message one night from from Sheree to say, look, we're bringing in a new goalie. And it was really sad to see Philly go because he was the... the I say it about everyone, nicest person, nicest person, but Philly, above anybody else that I've played with, with, was the nicest human being that I've ever played with. He had anyone's best interest, was a complete professional where he worked as hard as anybody on and off the ice. So it was really sad to see him go. But, I mean, CJ come in and you guys saw him play. He's just, he won us, you know, probably 50% of those games that we played or more. So... Um, everyone, everyone in the locker room, you know, practice games, didn't matter what time we were practicing, where our games were, how long the bus rides were, nobody cared. We got to the rink and we did what, you know, we were supposed to do. And, uh, we had an amazing year together. So going back to those playoffs, we, I think we play, we were meant to play five on that Friday night when the season got canceled. Um, yeah. I mean, if we won that, we didn't play until Cardiff on the Wednesday. We didn't play that weekend. We had the weekend off, I think. And Cardiff were playing Guildford and Dundee away. So we knew if that they slipped up on a point or two that weekend and we beat them on Wednesday, we, we, we weren't just trying to win the playoffs. We were trying to win the league. And we had a chance to do it. And everyone was so fired up. And then, Obviously, when we got the news, everyone got brought into the dressing room before the game on that Friday and got the news. And I'm not going to lie, guys were absolutely devastated. Like, we had put everything into that season to try and win a trophy. And we had such a good bond with each other, built some amazing friendships. And we we had a real chance of even winning the league and the playoffs. And we wanted to do that together and to get the news that, the season had to end due to the circumstances. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty devastating for most of the guys. So a horrible way to end uh, a pretty special year. Yeah, I, I, from an outside perspective, I, I know Ash and Ross will probably think the same. It's we were on the, one of the best you know, regulation runs in the league at that time. So I think everybody that was coming up against us was fearing us. Um, but on a personal level, from for yourself even from my perspective um and i think ash has probably got a comment on this as well from from one of the sources i think by far your best year with us and i'm not saying you've had bad years i think by far you can see how much effort you've put off ice you know between summers or whatever whatever you've done you can see it's paid off this year i think at one point you you were i don't know if this danny does a line one two and three but obviously you were alongside Drew most of the time, and it was unfortunate that you were both out overlapping at a similar period of time. And I think we had a bit of a dip, but as soon as you were both back again, we just knocked on. And I think that's where we just were consistent all the way up till, unfortunately, the news was given that the league was stopped. Did, would you say that you you can see the effort you've put in off the ice and it's now reaping the rewards for you? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. When I was... Uh... You know, from from that injury in Ogden and not being, you know, with my back and stuff, I put a, I can't swear, I I put a lot of weight on, like a lot of weight on. And I never had the the effort or the drive or the, like, whatever it was, the the strength to to get it off. And even, you know, I... With, with Danny, he he always say to me, you know, come on, you need to work harder between seasons and off the ice. And I, I 
I just I I just thought because I had some sort of natural talent that I didn't need to and I could get by and it was a poor attitude to have on my on my half and um last last summer I was in Spain with uh with Remy and my dad and um kind of just had a heart to heart with them and said like if I if I want to make a real go at this I need to I need to put some effort in off the ice and from there I just put in a shed ton of effort I, I mean I, I think I lost uh over two stone and um it really helped me that preseason. I was playing with Hash at the start of preseason, and we were lights out in preseason. Had an amazing preseason together, um, and then I ended up starting the season with Ike, well, Ike's dad. For some yeah. reason, I was I wasn't sure, but then maybe by November time, I I played with Drew on the second line, and um, you know that guy can absolutely fly. And he he was a, such an easy player to play with because he was so quick to get in all the right areas. He'd always be talking to me on and off the ice. I'd always hear him. He'd, mm. If I did anything wrong, he he wasn't afraid to tell me, you know, do this, do that. And um, from about November time, we didn't change any of the D partners. Hash played with Hammer. Uh, Ike played with Chris and I played with Drew throughout the remainder of the season. And if you can find that chemistry early, and stay with those D partners through a long period of time and become familiar with each other. It makes it makes games and playing in the D zone a lot easier. So I think that's a huge reason of why we were successful that year. Fair, fair comment. Would you say that Drew's like, should we say, an equivalent to Van Dyke on the ice for you? Uh, <laughs> well, let's just say nobody's the equivalent to Van Dyke because that guy <laughs> is different gravy. But he, uh, Drew is. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's so knowledgeable. He's played in some great leagues, and he's you know he's one of the oldest players on the team. But you'd never realise that because he's one of the fastest guys on the ice. And um, but with his knowledge and his, the way he plays, it, it just made my life a lot easier um, to play that year. So I'm very very thankful. And bearing in mind the injury that he got and then the injury that I got, we had a few months separated. Uh, from each other but when we got back together it was uh like nothing had changed it was very easy so just click straight away yeah um ash olivia's put here well you've put it obviously on olivia's basis don't give clemo too much of an ego uh, do you think we've done that <laughs> <laughs> no oh, no to be fair before we said that we've got to say what olivia said previously as well and yeah, i don't know if she's it's been a proud sister or what but from what you said about that summer in spain um, her final comment to me this morning was, and last thing too, over the last two summers, I'm not sure I've ever seen him work as hard as he has for a hockey season. He's really worked so hard to try and better and step his game up. And I personally think it showed last season, but hey, I'm biased. Just don't give him too much for ego when he walks out of there, will yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll forgive her for the other comments she gave me. But um, yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's... It's tough. It's been tough for me. I mean, mentally, um, for myself, playing, um, I always knew I w- wasn't in the greatest of shape, and I always knew, but I never did anything about it. I just just tried to deflect the fact that I, I could play and just show up and play and have a good time and this, that, and the other. So, but putting the work in over the last, last summer and then, you know, 
I, I left it a week after the season ended this summer and was back on it again just to try and stay ahead. Um, the hard work does pay off a lot and um, you feel better for it. I mean, I wish I would have done it when I was, you know, 20 years old now, um, feeling the way that I do on the ice and off the ice. But it's just one of them. It's a huge learning curve for me and um, any advice that I could give to anyone would be to don't wait until you're 24, 25 years old to try and get into shape. It's a lot harder at uh, 25 than it would have been at, uh, you know, 19, 20. But I'm, I'm very happy that I did. Um, it helped me a lot to play the way that I did last year and hopefully it can progress in into years to come. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, you can clearly tell it's helped you out this season. From, like I said earlier on, from an off-size perspective, yeah, I, I think it's your best year by far. So, five years with Blaze, halfway through three testimonials. Do you think you'll do another five? I'd love to. I mean, I I don't have any any ambition or um, anything like that to go and play somewhere else in this league. Um, obviously, Good. being from Coventry, yeah, <laughs> being from Coventry and you know, gaining some relationships with fans and the staff off the ice and, you know, the likes of you guys. Uh, you know, I've spoken to you guys since I've joined and um, I don't really want to play anywhere else. It, it doesn't, you know, nothing excites me about going to play for, you know, Cardiff or Sheffield and win a trophy. I just, I'm happy in Coventry. It's where I'm from. I, I, I like playing in front of the Coventry fans and, um, I'd love to play here in, until I have to stop. So, fair enough. Fair enough. That's good for me, but not good for my bank account. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Talking yeah, of test- price. I was going to say, been here that long now. Shit, this can't. Talking of testimonials, um, and these testimonial. Have you had the tattoo yet? I haven't. Lockdown saved me. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to call Kev right. Hickman now. Hold on. Yeah, I, I don't have an. Ex- I didn't have to make an excuse of why I didn't want to get it. But um, no, that was that was interesting. I, you know, V's been my my best friend since we were, you know, ten years old, and um, it's such a great achievement for him to be able to play for this team for ten years and get his testimonial at such a young age. So I, I, you know, I was talking to him and saying, how's it going? How's the testimonial going? Like, are you, are you getting the money you wanted to? Are you getting the following you wanted to? And he, he's not, as it's his testimonial, he's not allowed that much to do with it legally and stuff like that. He's not allowed much to do with it. He says, I don't know. He says, I hope I do well. And I just wanted to do something for him just to try and put a bit more money into his account for him as he deserves it for sure. And I put that tweet out expecting there's no way this is going to get up to 1500 pound. And we do the draft night and someone who I will not name approached me and said, what's the uh, total up to right now? And I said, Oh, I looked and I was like, Oh, it's at 200 pounds. So I've got until tomorrow and I don't have to get a tattoo. And he says, okay. And he went back and he pulled me over. He said, oh, you have to get a tattoo now. He transferred uh, £1,300 <laughs> into the GoFundMe page. and um, I won't regret getting a tattoo for it. I mean, it, it helps Ross and 
it's for a good cause, I guess. I just don't want it as big as this guy's trying to uh, spend for me. He wants me to get pretty much my whole arms in, I think. So, <laughs> he's like, I'll pay this much money. You're getting what I want. I said, yeah. well, I'll put some part of it. Uh, I'll let you know when I, go, when I get it, and I'll get some pictures out, don't worry. <laughs> V's face down your left arm. Oh, oh no chance. <laughs> no chance. I'll be getting that lasered straight off. <laughs> so just we're gonna we're coming to the end now we're coming to the wrap up for you so not much longer um one question that we have got and we've kind of done it ourselves in one of our first episodes we'll ask you being obviously a cob lad ultimate blaze lineup one netminder two d-men three forwards who are you picking Ooh. <laughs> Okay, so I think I've got the back three. Oh, no, actually. Can't no. Pick the goal... You can oh, pick yourself. I, I think you can <laughs> pick yourself. I think you can pick yourself. Or oh. defenseman, I can put myself next to who my first choice would be, and that would be Neil Martin, for sure. A uh, guy who was on a different oh. level. Um, so he'd have to be my number one D-man pick. For goalie, I'd have to go with... Um, Growing up watching Jody Lehman, he he was probably my favourite goalie growing up watching. So I'd go with Jody. So Jody and Neil. Um, for the right wow. defenseman, it would be out of Pavel Mihalik and his name was Steve O'Brien back in yep. the day. Steve O'Brien. O'Brien. War number 15. Yeah. Went to Belfast afterwards, I believe. Yeah, yeah I, I really liked watching him play. I thought he was a good right-handed, solid defenseman. Um, forwards, Ross Venus. I'll give him a shout-out. He can stay on the team. Legend. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'll, I'll put Ross to boost his points up for his uh, Elite Prospects page. I'll put him next to... Uh, Calder and Colson for sure. I mean, I can't. I don't think any Blaze, any Blaze team could be uh, without one of them, and you can't have one without the other. So it'd have to be them two for sure. Good solid line. Good solid line. I remember Steve O'Brien. Now you've mentioned name. He used to when he skated really fast. He used to do this like kind his of head. His yeah. He used to his head. head. Used to... Shake light type of thing. Yeah, and then he did this thing with his stick. He never had his stick on the ice. He had it up like waist height, and he'd like he'd, he'd be rowing it like an oar, as if he was on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always remember quality. it. Yeah, I do remember that now. The skating like an oar. Yeah, I do remember that. He was quality though. <laughs> Brilliant. So, um, couple of last ones then. You know. Question coming in here then from uh, our favourite ice rink manager, the very own Chris Carpenter. Um, It's been mentioned by Liam, it's it's been in your intro. He wants to know what's the best way to win at the Gulag. Is it run at them or keep back and wait? Okay, so I don't really want to give my tactic away too much because I'm 100% in the Gulag, but uh, my tactic is, see, everybody goes right. Everyone has a thing about going right or going middle. And when I watch people like on their cams, they always go to the right. I sprint straight away down the left and I'm sliding in the middle. And I know that they're going to pop out on the right, in the middle or on the right. And I just chase them down and kill them. And that's my tactic. And that's why I have a 100% record in the gulag. <laughs> and I have to buy, 
by my entire team back, including especially Luke Ferrara. That guy does not know how to not be killed. He 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 thinks he's the sniping <laughs> legend at Call of Duty. He, all he does is pick a sniper class, pick a sniper class. He'll stand up, he'll get sniped, and he'll be like, ah, oh, how did he see me? How did he see me? He'll put his plates on. He'll stand up again, like poking his head out, get sniped. How did he see me? Does anybody have plates? So I, I probably spend more money in a game of Warzone on feds buying him shields than I do on myself. So make sure you tell feds that as well. <laughs> Terrible teammate. Oh. So Liam says it's you. You're saying it's feds. Well, what's feds going to say? It's V. <laughs> the amount of games I've won with Liam when I have carried him. <laughs> we, we'll say we'll go to one place in the map and Liam say okay I'll meet you there and he'll dive the opposite end of the map and pick up a helicopter and try and get to us like 10 minutes later like I'm just a solid guy who just does my job and you know do what I can for the team to win everyone else is just reckless so we have no no, no say in that right I don't know if anybody else has got any more Ash you got any more it's nothing from me now. No, anything from yourself, Ross? Uh, I've just got one. Um, we're going to have, obviously, Ross Venus uh, coming on. Um, on the 22nd, I think it is. Uh, we've got it uh, in penciled in. Uh, so all I want to know is, have you got a question for Venus? I've got a question for Venus. Oh, there's so many I could ask him. I've got to figure out one that might be appropriate for your podcast. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, who was his least favourite ever roommate slash housemate whilst being at the Blaze? Bearing in mind he's been there a long time. Wow. I want to know who his least favourite is and why. Wow. <laughs> Good question. Good question. Oh. Just ten years to think about as well. There's gonna be some, isn't there? Oh, well, truly. <laughs> so obviously, we've, we've mentioned it just there. Obviously, with Ross. Obviously, if you want to do the official announcement for us, then Clemo, far away. Could you just? Thoroughly announced, so the listeners understand who our next guest is. Uh, just to clear it up as well, before we actually do the announcement for the listeners, next week we are going to have uh, one of the fan interactions come on. So a fan has reached out to us asked for him to come on and speak to us. But the week after is when uh, V will be joining us. So if you want to officially announce it for us, Clem, far away. Okay, so anybody listening, uh, the um, next guest is uh, a Blaze legend. Uh, the youngest Blaze legend ever. He's absolutely terrified of rodents and pigeons. So he doesn't walk around the city centre too often. A couple of incidents there uh, with pigeons. Um, He speaks better Spanish now than he does English. And he's got a new furry uh, member of the family. Uh, Number 59, Ross Venus. Hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you very much, Clemo. It's been a pleasure, um, and I'm sure I'll express it. You know, thank you for coming on again. It's been an absolute barrel of from my side. I've gone on mute a number of times just to chuckle away to myself so I don't get it on the re- 
uh, recording. But guys, thank you again for joining us, and uh, obviously, Clemo, thank you for coming on and spilling the beans on a number of people. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. It's been fun. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Third Period Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you've got anything you want to say to us, find us on Facebook. Maybe join in the next episode. As always, check out Nuola for all your custom sportswear needs.